Good morning, everybody. I just want, let me just uh, add my voice to the choir. Well, add my voice to the choir, but to thank the choir and to thank the band. You wouldn't know this, but on Thursday this week, the choir was nine. Uh, ten, ten. We're down to three because of COVID uh, isolating and positive tests, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these three started in a group of ten, and uh, they stuck it out, and they did phenomenally well. So well done to them, man. That's. I mean, I don't know if uh, you probably heard yourself trying to. Uh, that, I mean, I I would never have. So you guys, well done, man. That was brilliant. If you're a visitor, my name is Luke. Let me just say hello and welcome you. It's my privilege to share with us a message. Uh, I know there's lots of kids here, so I've got various exit points in this message, depending on how we go. Um, We're launching our Advent series called A King is Born, Hope Has Come. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks, culminating in Christmas Sunday, um, where we, well, well, Christmas Sunday, Christmas uh, Eve, Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock and then Christmas Day at 9.30, we're going to be following Luke's gospel account um, as we work through the Advent story in that way. If you've you've got a Bible, either paper or on your device, won't you whip it out? We don't have any slides, and so won't you pull it out? I'd love it if on each of your blankets or clusters of chairs, there would be someone you can track with the scripture as we work through today. We're looking at Luke chapter 1. So right at the start of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament, and we're going to read from verse 5. And today we're looking at the story of the birth of John the Baptizer, right? And so we're joining, we're reading together from Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. Let's jump right in. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Can you say Zechariah? Zechariah in the division of Abijah and his wife from the daughters of Aaron And her name was Elizabeth. And so we meet our two main characters in our story today, Zeke and Liz, right? If you're American, you've got Zeke and Liz. Uh, And they come with some sort of pedigree here. They're they're priests in the line of Aaron. They're from a a priestly family in the the tribe of Levi. And uh, and now we're going to learn two very important things about them. Verse 6 and verse 7. See if you can spot them. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. The first thing we learn about this couple is this, that they were incredibly righteous and godly people. These were people who obeyed God. They, they lived blamelessly before all of God's commands. The second thing we learn from Luke here as well, Luke wants us to know that although they are righteous... They are also people who have suffered greatly. Their lives were marked with the deep disappointment of not being able to have children. They're in their 60s now. And they sort of know that if it hasn't happened by now, that ship has probably sailed. And so we learn of these two people. They're they're incredibly godly and righteous, yet they've suffered as well. Why is this important? I'm going to stop for a second and just draw two brief things for us here. On one level, it reminds us that life is not that simple. Sometimes people who live righteous lives suffer great disappointments. Christianity is not a pass to all the hardships of life in a broken world. 
Some of the most incredible people I know are some of the people who have suffered most in life. In fact, in fact, even sometimes it's the hardships that they've gone through that have in some way led to them becoming the incredible people that they are. Because we're going to put up with a little bit of noise and squealing and that's kind of okay, right? We're outdoors. We're going to just roll with it. The odd motorbike, the odd dog barking. I'm very stoked to see two puppies here. Um, anyway, back to where we were. In fact, sometimes the hardships that people face seem to make them even more godly. It's the people whose characters that I admire the most often are those who have gone through the most difficult experiences in life. And many of them would say that it was in the trials they were going through that they drew and grew closer to God. And the second thing we see from these two here, and and, and this is where I want to point us in the direction uh, for Zechariah and for Liz, their barrenness is a picture of God's people at the time of the first Christmas. Their barrenness is a picture of the nation of Israel. This passage we're reading in Luke chapter 1, it's the start of the New Testament, right? For 400 years there had been silence. For 400 years, there's a, there's, a, there's a gap called the intertestamental gap between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, which is broken now. And, and this is a very dark and barren time. God's people did not have years, did not have decades, but centuries of barrenness. They'd been in exile. They'd been under the oppression of foreign empires, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, one variant after another variant. For 400 years, it was dark. It was barren times, power after power, oppressing them, depressing them, curbing the economy, curbing life. Times were dark. Times were gloomy. They were barren. But there is a thread of hope. And I want us to see this before we read on. If you can go back, if you can navigate in your Bible to the last book of the Old Testament, the last chapter of the Old Testament. It's the book of Malachi. And you're going to see Malachi chapter 4. This is how the Old Testament closes out. And then there's 400 years of barrenness, 400 years of COVID. I mean, I mean oppression, etc. That, that just went through God's people or God's people went through. These were the last words of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, we read together. Look, it's a promise. I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. What we see here, as you make your way back to Luke chapter 1, is that God has said, I'm going to send someone who's going to put things right. But before he comes, there's going to be a prophet in the lane of Elijah who's going to come. And so it's dark. It's barren. It's 400 years of variant after variant after variant. And I'm not prophesying 400 years of that to us, just so you know. But there's this thread of hope, this kind of cryptic promise of of this one who would come and would put things to right. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to our passage, verse 8, Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Now, while he was serving, this is Zechariah serving as a priest before God, when, the, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. Now, Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests, and once in your life you were chosen to go in and to lead the sacrifice. And this is what's happened. Zechariah's moment has come, and something unexpected is about to happen. Verse 10. 
And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. All the people outside the temple gathered and praying. And there appeared to him in the Holy of Holies, standing before him on the right side of the altar of incense was an angel. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the Spirit and the power of Elijah. Remember that word, that name? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And to make ready the Lord a people prepared. Did you see that? They've been waiting 400 years. It's 400 years of barrenness with this thread of hope. And then comes a thrill. This promise seems to be fulfilled in the birth of this Elijah-like prophet. prophet. The first sign of the promise being fulfilled is that you will have a son. He will be set apart to God. And he will prepare the way for what God is doing. It's important for us to stop for a second and work out what God's doing here. The first thing I want us to see is that God is faithful to accomplish his promises. God is faithful to accomplish his promises. We're reading about the preparations that God is making for the birth of Jesus. Times were dark, times were barren. As I said, one oppressor after the other for 400 years. They'd been under the crushing weight and oppression of of, of empire after empire. But in the midst of all of this, God was preparing the world for his son. As dark and as barren as it was, God was at work. Now, you wouldn't have been able to see it if you walked out and had a look. It's hard to recognize. People missed it. All over people missed it. But God was at work. The future of the whole of the world, of all of creation, was about to change. Although, as you looked around, you would never have known it. Yet, in the midst of the barrenness, God was at work. This passage, tying together the Old Testament and the New Testament, speaks of a God who is always at work in in ways that we cannot see, in ways that we can't uh, even sometimes articulate. But he knows the beginning from the end, and he is faithful to accomplish his promises. I know as we approach Christmas, for most of us, this is coming out of a season of barrenness, right? This is not a Christmas like three years ago or a few years ago. We've had a couple of lean, lean years. And I think it's worth stopping and seeing in the story that although it looks dark, although it's barren, God knows the beginning from the end. He's got a plan and he is at work and he never fails to accomplish what he's promised to do in our lives. He can be trusted. How are you doing with trusting God in the midst of the season? Where do you find yourself and your levels of trust for God in this COVID moment? Let's go on and read verse 18 together. I'll read nice and slow so you can follow along as family. Sorry, I realized I was reading fast there. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am, I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. 
and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting on Zechariah, and they were wondering about this delay in the temple. And when he came out and he was unable to speak to them, they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. They knew something had gone down in the midst of the temple. And he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. Kids, mute means that he couldn't speak. And, and, and when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. And these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in these days when, sorry, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Last thing I want us to see here, or maybe, maybe two more, we'll see how we go. We can learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth how to face incredible disappointment and not grow bitter. How to face incredible hardship and disappointment and not grow bitter. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth faced massive hardship. It's clear that their hopes, they had hopes as a young couple about how life was going to turn out. One baby shower after another baby shower of each of their friends and their turn just never came. Yet, in the midst of all of this, they never succumbed to bitterness. They didn't fixate so much on what they had lost or missed out on. And they didn't work or walk away from God. And that never really helps us anyway when we do that. They remained upright before God and they remained upright before people. Now, it doesn't mean they were never sad and they didn't have low moments. But in the midst of their disappointment, they, they had a sense that God was even greater than the thing they were missing out on. And God was still at work in their life. And so they remain godly even through long seasons of disappointment. It's my experience that seeds of bitterness grow in our hearts, especially when we live with a sense of entitlement to God. I mean, it's difficult, actually, if we're really honest, to not live with a sense of entitlement in our modern culture. It's, it, it's hard because everything in our world says life is all about you and what you want to do and the adventures you want to go on. And you just follow your heart and pursue your dreams. And you can be anything that you want to be. But don't you get it? It's all about you. It's all about your life. And it's all about what you want to do. It's hard to not look at life from the perspective of our wants and our needs. And if you do that for long enough, as I'm sure you, like me, do, it's hard not slowly year after year over a period of time to start to look and relate to God as the kind of blesser of my life, as the kind of life aid to my choose your own adventure story through life. When this happens, when we face disappointment and when our disappointment is greater than our trust and our knowledge of who God really is, then resentment can come creep into our hearts then bitterness can creep in when that happens invariably temptation comes temptation is almost guaranteed in these moments when our hearts are full of disappointment we can be tempted uh, to to kind of justify taking all sorts of uh, unhelpful or sinful decisions by by doing things that we shouldn't do because we've kind of painted ourselves into being victims in life and what we do is we pursue things that distract us from the disappointment that we face. We could be buying all sorts of expensive things. It could be withholding our commitment from other Christ followers or the church or not even God, not even not spending time with God. Yet that's not what we see with Zachariah and with Liz. They remain humble. They remain humble before God, even through seasons of dis disappointment. 
we learn from them how to face disappointment without growing bitter because we've allowed God to loom larger in our hearts and our trust of him even than the disappointments that we're facing. I think it's probably worth exploring very briefly another little bit of bitterness that creeps into our hearts as we approach Christmas. But maybe bitterness that we harbor towards other people. It's easy bitterness sneaks into our hearts and into our relationships and we start to grow hard towards others. As Christ followers, we are those more than anyone else in the world who are able to hand over our hurts to God and we trust him to settle any scores. What this does is it frees us from the pains of the past having to be carried into our present because ultimately we're able to put them in God's hands and trust him to settle whatever scores and that frees us from the need to act ourselves. I want to stop and ask you, has bitterness crept into your heart? Is your heart starting to get hard either towards God, towards other Christ followers, towards other people, human beings? perhaps even towards the church. Are you bitter? I'll give you a moment at the end to do some business with Jesus there. Zechariah and Liz show us how to face disappointment and yet not allow seeds of bitterness to take root in our heart. One more point as we go here. The last one we learned from Zechariah is beware that we allow unsanctified skepticism and doubt to color how we relate to God. It's more... more, um, a point for the parents. Um, beware we allow unsanctified skepticism and doubt to color how we relate to God. Although they had kept their hearts free of bitterness, he still struggled to believe God's goodness when he finally came before him. Although he was living a godly life, he wasn't able to believe that God could still do this great thing in front of him. Perhaps year after year, it just kind of grew. Maybe he struggled. He he. he, he So much of living in barrenness maybe shrunk his world right down to the point where he could no longer believe that God could do these great things in his life. I don't know why, but he just stopped trusting God. Hey, let me just do a little aside. A healthy doubt and a healthy skepticism, especially if you're not a Christ follower and you're listening in, healthy healthy doubt, healthy skepticism, these are good things, right? Uh, They help us avoid some of the dangers of faith. You know, Tim Keller, he says it like this. He says, a faith without doubts is like a human body without antibodies. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has or he has failed over the years to listen patiently to his or her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not with their, not with, uh, sorry, not only with their own friends and neighbors. Um, he continues. He says, it, "It is no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them." Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able to provide grounds for your beliefs to skeptics, including yourself, that are both plausible rather than ridiculous or offensive. Uh, I'm not advocating against doubting and investigating, but, but, but what's clear here in Zechariah's life is his, his doubt had gone beyond reasonable. It, it stopped him from being rational. I mean, right in front of him, an angel appeared. And he was literally arguing with the angel that God couldn't do a miracle with him. Something happened in his heart and he'd become a genuine skeptic, closed off to what God could do in his life. 
And I, I just probably worth stopping. I wonder if there's a few here today who maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at. Are you, are, you that, are you that hardened skeptic? Perhaps even though you're here, it's a Carol's, it's a Carol's morning, but maybe your heart's grown closed off to the fact that God could be real and God could want to do something in your life. Don't allow your heart to grow hard. In, in the end, we learn from Zechariah, um, well, God makes him mute. Daryl Bach commentating on this passage says this, the angel tells Zechariah, in effect, just be quiet for a while and watch God accomplish his work. The final lesson here is trust God because he will accomplish his will in his ways. And we learn from Zechariah, even when we get it wrong. God still does what God's going to do. He's so gracious. He's so good. He's so powerful. Even when we got it wrong, even when we get it wrong, it's true. Elizabeth falls pregnant and and her baby boy is born. It's clear when you look at this passage, God is always at work. Sometimes you look around life, you look back on 2021, you think, geez, it's dark, it's hard, it's barren. God, I'm not sure where you're at. He is. He's still at work, even when we can't recognize him, just like No one knew the whole of the history of the world was about to change with the birth of Christ. Yet everyone was oblivious to what God was doing. He was still at work. Even when they got it wrong, he accomplishes his purposes in our world. I'd love to lead us in a moment of prayer. Can we close our eyes? No need to stand. Just uh, as you are, let's close our eyes and do business with Jesus. We've spoken to those of us struggling with doubt. We've spoken to those of us perhaps experiencing long seasons of bitterness and a root of bitterness growing up in our heart, either toward God or toward others. We've also spoken to Christ followers who've drawn a line and said, I'm going to remain godly. I'm going to be faithful to him, even in spite of hardships. I'd love to pray for all of you. So let's close our eyes. Father, to those that are here who maybe have grown hard and cold toward you, whose doubt has gone beyond helpful and rational and it's become irrational and self-serving and we've become closed off, I, I'd love to pray. If that's you would, you, would you say, yeah, I think that's me and I need, to, I need to open my eyes a little bit. I've become closed off in my doubt. God, this Christmas, would you speak to me? Jesus, if you're real, if you're as good as what this passage seems to say that you are, would you speak to me this Christmas as I open my life to freshly explore you? I'm going to lean in this Christmas, Christ. If that's you, you pray this prayer. I'm going to lean in, Jesus. I'm going to seek you. And if you're real and if you're good, would you, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you make that your prayer? got a next step for you at the end of this message I'd love to give to you but you spend a few minutes just praying those words to God to those of us who've perhaps grown bitter bitter toward God bitter towards maybe even the church maybe bitter towards others other other Christ followers just others family members in life and you realize hang on I'm carrying bitter that's me Jesus I choose to take my disappointments. I choose to take my hurts and I place them on you at the cross, Christ. No longer is it mine to keep score. I'm going to trust you, God. Though I cannot see it, though at times, mostly if I'm honest, I don't even feel it. I know you are good and you are at work 
in this world and you are at work in my life, God. And I'm holding on, I'm trusting you that your work in me is not finished, that there is much good to do in my life. And God, as we approach Christmas, would you, would you kickstart my walk with you again as I release these things to you? What is it that you have to release to God this morning? Is it a person? Is it a hurt? Is it, is it just something with God, a disappointment with Him? You need, you need to let that thing go again. Place it in His hands. If that's you, take a second to release that to God and to pray to Him, that prayer. The last group of people are those who just, this is you, you're, you're this couple right now. You're having a hard time and actually you've decided, as tough as it is, I'm going to, I'm pursuing God. I'm living in God's ways. I'm going to remain upright. I'm going to, I'm going to live as righteous as I can. If that's you, I want to pray for you. God, I pray for so many of our family members here, visitors, friends who are leaning in, who are saying, God, it's been tough. It's been two hard years. I don't even know what the next year brings, but God, my lot is in with you. I've got nowhere else to go but to pursue you, Christ. I'm a follower of you, but God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your grace that I could live this life that you call me to. I thank you, Jesus, that you're not just aloof at a distance calling me to live in ways, but you fill me with your spirit and you empower my very life that as I draw from you strength and courage and and that which I need I find that which I need to live in your ways and so I pray grace poured out on your life now I pray empowering grace to your life now to live in God's ways I pray nearness to you this Christmas may you experience the nearness of Christ Maybe like Zachariah, it means being quiet and being still and cutting off a bunch of distractions and actually just drawing near to simple things in life, to Jesus himself. And I trust that he would meet you there. Amen.